Grab a Bible. Yep, you know already, don't you? Get a Bible. You need a Bible. I'm not saying you may need a Bible. I'm saying you need a Bible. So get a Bible. Uh, this church is all centered on God's Word, not David's stories. So if you leave here with a bunch of cool stories I said, then I blew it. I don't want that to happen. I want you to leave with God's Word so you can look at it yourself. If you want to take notes, there's a note sheet back there. So you can take notes because the notes are better in terms of you thinking about who you're going to share it with. So it's not so much about you yourself, but who you're going to share with. In the Bible, we're working through it chronologically. We're following the story of God. The Bible, as I say, is a library. It is not a storybook in a sense. It is a story, but it's not chronological. So what we're doing is we're walking through it chronologically, chronologically and looking at the story of God as we go through it, which so far has been pretty consistent, but it'll get choppy eventually. But for now, it's been pretty consistent because Genesis flows pretty well. So we looked at who God was, like the Trinity, who he is before creation. Then we looked at his act of creating and how he created all things, including mankind. We looked at how sin came into the world and how God promised to Eve that a seed of woman would come and would provide salvation, would set things right, would defeat the enemy, would restore. And uh, she has two children. Cain kills Abel, the two boys. Cain kills Abel. Cain is exiled. They have more kids, Seth being uh, the one in particular, because through Seth, the seed continues on down. Things over generations get worse and worse and worse until we come to the days of the flood. Already talked about that. God wipes everything clean. And then uh, begins again with the family of Noah outside of the ark. And then they begin to reproduce and have kids and things begin to grow again. And we skip through a lot, but that's cool because you've got a Bible. So you don't need me. So you can read it in your own Bible. But as things begin to go forward and move uh, into, the, into what's next, God chooses a new type of relationship between himself and man. And that is through what we call patriarchs or through a family, uh, a particular family, all right? And that one particular family is going to carry the seed forward. So today we're looking at what you might be missing. That's what I'm calling it. I want you to let that think, think through that a minute, and we'll talk about it as we go, but what you might be missing. So if you're in Genesis chapter 12, look at, uh, we're not in Genesis chapter 1, Dave. You said it like five times. 12, verse 1, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing. And a huge gift to us, Lord. I am always reminded there's blood on this book that how many people have died to put it into my hands. And I don't ever want to treat that lightly. I pray today that your word speaks. And I know I got a mic. I know that. But as I say, and I say it for me, that I'm a student, Lord. I'm here to be humbled under what your word says, not to proclaim all my great ideas or thoughts, Lord, and I, I want to learn from you. So I pray you speak today in a way that we can learn, all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, some years ago, I got to go to Senegal 
in West Africa and was part of this little discipleship group of men who were from all over North Africa and they were in countries where they can't where it's illegal and they had been part of this pirate radio program that was literally piped in preaching the gospel and these were people who had become believers and wanted to start making disciples in their countries even though they were it was illegal to do so Senegal is not a free country necessarily but it's less oppressive so it was still dangerous but not as dangerous uh, to be there. So they all kind of gathered there for this conference in Senegal, and we, me and some others, got invited to go be part of it, uh, about three or four of us. And you had, I remember meeting these three guys from Morocco who had fake passports in order to smuggle themselves across borders to get in there. And I thought, man, wow, fake passport to get yourself to a Bible study, more or less. Two Algerians, who I will never forget as long as I live, I don't have time for the whole story, but tackled each other in the middle of the floor, grown men rolling around laughing and crying all over each other because they thought they were the only one in their whole country that believed in Jesus. Um, which always, I always think about that. Both of them claim to have visions of Jesus, like literally see him. Uh, I don't doubt it. So, but before you ask for that, just, I always remember that's what it costs sometimes. You know what I mean? So be careful. You know, but anyway, there was a woman that was going to go with us to film all of this and uh, not for us, for them, like the, the conference wanted wanted it recorded. And uh, and it was not a big event. It was a small thing. It was an underground thing, but they wanted a document of it. So this woman was going to come do it. And literally three days before it, she backed out. She just got too scared. I was like, I'm not I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I'm not doing it. Um, even though she filmed missions for a living, she was like, I'm not doing it. And um, there was a guy, his name's Cody Richardson, that, you know, was part of our church, was in a discipleship group with me. He was a believer. He'd been baptized. He had a wife and multiple kids. But he was starting to kind of get into video as a hobby almost. And we asked him, would you be interested in going? And he said, absolutely. Now, that meant in like two days. So he's going to risk losing his job and he thought he was going to and we were like man we don't want to cost you your job you got kids he goes i don't care I'm, I'm going and he did go did a fantastic job and since then now uh this man has gone on to full-time career doing video and has worked for and is working with some of the largest churches in the nation doing video work for them and still and and, and even corporations he started doing his own like private enterprise and he works for corporations. He's done work for some major ones. I won't say names, but giant ones uh, doing video work for them. But his heart is still to go do missional videos for places where the gospel is not present. All right? So this guy said yes. So today I, I want you to think about I want that to be the question that sits on you. What if you said yes? Like just let that question r- sit right on top of you today. What if you said yes? And on the sheet back there, as, I, as always, I put a little thought to remember, and this is what it is. If we respond to God's call and become his disciples, if we respond to God's call and we become his disciples, then we have the opportunity to walk with him into a future that's designed for us. But we have to listen and we have to keep walking. 
All right? We have to listen and we have to keep walking. So we'll get into it. Look at verse 1 and let's roll in here. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, specific person. He didn't just blast it out to whoever. He approached a specific person named Abram. And I'm probably going to mix it up and say Abraham and Abram because his name gets changed to Abraham. Same guy. So if I mix up the words, don't throw stones. Okay? But Abram here, he approaches him specific and says, go. That word go, you can circle it or mark it in your Bible or whatever. It's literally, in Hebrew, it's the word walk. So it's literally walk. To me, that's a big deal, and you'll see why. It's literally walk from your country or your land and your kindred, which means your heritage. So your land, your heritage, and your father's house, your home. Knocks it all out. Your, your country, you could say, your heritage, your background, and your, your comfort zone, your home like where your family is, your responsibilities there even, to the land that I will show you. Now, the time period's important. It's around 2100 B.C. or something like that. There's, listen, there's already been seven Egyptian dynasties that have risen and fallen. The pyramids are already there. Pyramids are already there. The Chinese already have a written language. The uh, aborigines in Australia have already lived for centuries at this point in time. Uh, in Peru, they had already built cities that were already in decline and disappearing. The Middle East had settlements and cities and towns all over it that were unique cultures. The Sumerian Empire had already risen and fallen. Babylon had already become a ma- major city, risen and fallen, but not completely because they'll come back. The point I'm getting at is Abraham wasn't living in some cave like a caveman ha- you know, with a half brain. You know, this This was a time when civilization was... In full existence, there were weapons, there was the wheel, there was fire, there was artwork, there were clothes, people were into fashion. I mean, things like that already occurred. There was agriculture, there was architecture, there were shepherds, there were poets, there were musicians, there were kings, there were slaves. The world was a functioning world at his, time, at his point in time. And his family might have been nomads. That's what we think of when we think of Abraham, probably, living in tents and stuff, but not originally. They were from this place, Ur of the Chaldees. They were in a place, and you can look at this back, back up in your Bible and you'll see it, but, but they, were, they had roots in, the, in a city, in a place which we know to be part of Babylon. Terah, his father, was an idol maker. Joshua 24.2 talks about, talks about a little bit about him being... One who served idols. So, so Abraham's father is somebody who served idols, not worshipped idols. That would be true too. But served these foreign gods. And the idea is that he created idols for these gods to, that was his service to them. And Jewish history and commentaries all have multiple stories about, you know, Abraham and the idol shop of his father. So no, whether that's a fact or not, biblically speaking, don't know, but it could be. Regardless of the fact, he was definitely connected. So the point I'm getting at here is you want to understand what grace means? Listen to me. This family had no reason, no reason whatsoever to merit God's attention. Just just think about that a minute. I always think about that first. Before you get all of Abraham by faith and whatever. But he had no reason to merit God's attention. Like what was what was it that got God to look at him? 
Turn to, you won't see this on your screen, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, really quick. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Some things will be on the screen, some things won't. You know how we do this? Because I want you to look at your Bible or scroll to it or click to it, however you do it. Ephesians chapter 2, um, this to me is probably one of the, well, to me it is my favorite 10 verses in the Bible. We're not going to cover all 10, but an amazing picture of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Paul writing says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. What do dead people do? Nothing. At best, they rot. Nothing. Dead in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you were doing the same thing Satan was with your life, whether you know it or not. Why? Because you're dead. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived. So Paul's putting himself right there. I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm the same way. All of us were in this state. And he says, we were carrying out the desires of the flesh and of the, the passions of the flesh and the desires of the body and mind. He's saying we were doing what, if it feels good, that's what we were doing. We were making our judgment calls in life based on is it helping us or hurting us. That's what we were doing. And he says literally that we were by nature children of wrath. That doesn't mean we were fighting all the time. That means we were by nature under the wrath of God. Sinful. Like the rest of mankind. So that's all of us. Every single one of us. And then the most amazing words, right? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, sins, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That is what it means to be saved by grace. That's what happened to Abraham. He was dead in Babylon, and God approached him. And by grace, he, he was saved. By grace, listen, in God's kingdom, listen to me, grace always fuels faith. It's never the other way around. Your faith will never earn grace. That defeats the purpose of grace. Grace always fuels faith. And God chose Abraham for reasons that we don't know beyond the fact that he loved Abraham. That's it. Now, this is not a call to full-time ministry. It's not like Abraham's been a believer for 10 years and he's gone to seminary and now God's calling him to ministry. That's not what this is. This is not about him being called to a pastor or being called to be a missionary. This is just a call to faith. Like we would say this is salvation. This is a call to be saved. This is just a call to faith. But that call, and this is where we mess up, always comes with a walk. Do you see what, and when I say we, I genuinely mean we. We tend to, especially here, we tend to, not here at the church necessarily, but here maybe in America or or in, in the modern church world, we tend to put like this wall between being called to get saved and being called into ministry. Like I'm, I'm called, God called, yep, God called me out of the darkness and saved me. And now what? Well, I'm waiting on him to call me into ministry, maybe, but I don't think I'm called into ministry. Or I don't think I'm going to, we put this disconnect. There's no such disconnect in the Bible. It's not, it doesn't exist. It's not there. There's no such thing. Every call to faith, there's a call to walk. Every single one of them. It's not, it's not that the walk saves you. The walk is evidence that something happened. 
Man, something happened in my life, man. I, something happened in my life. God came to me, and because of that, that's why you see me walking this way. Or that's why you see me walking over there or doing this thing. But what do you think this encounter with Abraham was like? What do you imagine? you imagine he heard a voice from heaven? Do you imagine that he was looking at the stars and he just heard God whisper in his ear? Do you imagine he just had this overwhelming feeling in his heart? Or do you think God actually came up to him? Now, if you've been tracking with this, you know God does actually do that and did do it already in the Old Testament prior to this. And you'll see that he'll do it again uh, in Abraham's life and in the lives of some others that we're going to look at. But either way, Abraham trusted that this person or voice or whatever was God. And that he was exactly who he said he was. And his faith here was not based on the fact that he went. His faith was based on the fact that he trusted God, that God was going to give him a family. And God was going to give him these things. And the fact that he went was just evidence that he believed that. It was just evidence that he trusted already. When God calls us to move, it may not mean relocate. It might. You know, for Molly and I, it meant relocate. For some of you, it did. It meant relocate here, but we've been married for 20 years. I mean, we didn't, it didn't start that way. It was other things. You know, it might be he calls you to uh, go across the street. might be that he calls you to go to the cubicle next door, you know. <laughs> it might be that he goes, calls you to go to the coffee shop, spend time there, meet somebody. It might be that he calls you to go visit a family member. I don't know. If we're saved by grace through faith, then we are called to move. No matter what, you, you are. There's no super Christian elites. There's no black op Christians, you know. There's no missionaries that are apart from the rest of us. Like these are the super missionary. Those people don't exist. That's not true. We make them that way. That's not the case. Not biblical. But I'm sure for Abraham too, there were long years, and you'll see some long years where he didn't hear anything from God, and he may have been questioning or struggling or wrestling. So here's my question: Why walk? I think that word is really significant being there, and I really wish that the translators left it as walk. Just my opinion, but you get the point. He's saying go, but walk I think is a big deal. We, we think Abraham was just blindly wandering around until God pointed, oh, no, 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 this way a little more, you know, or whatever. But that's not what it says. It's saying, I will show you. What he's saying is, let's do this together. Let's take a walk. You know, my, my kid has grown up and moved back to Tennessee with her da- da- uh, daughter, my granddaughter now, and her husband. God, I can't think of anything that would mean more to me than her stand right here right now and say, hey, can we go for a walk? I'll drop this phone and walk out on every one of y'all right now. Drop this microphone and walk out on it. Uh, No, he said, let's go all the way. Let's do this together. We're going to go all the way. From the beginning, God has done this. It's not new. Look back in the, you don't have to turn back to it, but just mark it down. Genesis 3, verse 8. We already read it. In, in the garden with Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Means it was familiar sound. They were used to him walking with him, walking with them in the garden, physically walking. What did he look like? I don't know. We don't have to go there. We just know he was present. Genesis 5, 21. We didn't go over this, but you may be familiar with it. In the list of names, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch, what? Walked with God. Walked with God. 
after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So we always get focused on that whole God took him thing. But let's just back up. He walked with God. Like, what did that look like? That just mean him and God were cool? Or did God actually come walk with Enoch? Don't know, but either way. Genesis 6, verse 9. We did talk about this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Genesis 17. This is ahead of where we are. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. That where it says before me, it means in my face, in my presence. So the idea is he appeared. What does appear mean? Didn't say he heard a voice. He said appeared. Appeared means it wasn't there. I didn't see it, and now I see it. It appeared. He appeared. What did he look like? Don't know. Not the point. He appeared, and he said, walk in my presence. Walk in my, walk in my face, sort of, not in an antagonistic way, but in my presence of what he's saying. Ultimately, we know that God takes on flesh. Born of a woman and walks, right? Jesus, he walked. Think about what that was like. Listen to me, man. Think about what that was like as a disciple to literally walk everywhere with Jesus. Not, hey, I'll meet you over in Capernaum in about a day. Or I'll meet you down in Jerusalem in six, you know, six or seven hours. Like it was like they walked everywhere. Not going to jump a horse and race off together. See who can get there first. There's no quick, like, nap on a flight, and then we land and we're there, you know. Uh, not wearing headphones or playing games. Like, the walk was the best part. The walk was the time. In fact, for the disciples, I'm just betting. But for the disciples, I would think the walk was better than the arrival because when they get wherever they're going, there's work to do and crowds everywhere and all that stuff. But they got to walk with them, man. What do you think that was like? In our world, walking's like a burden. Or exercise. You know, I, I don't know. If we want to get there, if there's somewhere to go, we're taking the fastest route, right? And if we can, we're going to take a nap on the way. Walking with God, it's more than just a lifestyle, guys. It's, it's a direction in life. It's a destination in life that you're aimed towards. It's, it's something that you're aimed towards and, and you're walking there. And even if you aren't sure about the details, as you take one step and another step, the details might get a little more clear and a little more clear. And there might be changes that come or things as it does get clear. But the point is you set your feet forward with intent to get there. That, that's the thing. So what you might be missing. If you're not walking, what you might be missing. Hearing from God. Learning to recognize him. If he did appear, would you even know it? If he did appear, if you say, well, he never appeared to me. What if he did? What if he did? What if he did? What if you have talked to Jesus eyeball to eyeball? Would you know it? Ain't It says black and white in the Bible that it, that occurs with angels. If it occurs with angels, what makes you think it couldn't occur with him? Uh Learning to see him, learning to find purpose, gaining something new in your life. 
I mean, those are things that come with, with taking this walk. You feel like God's distant. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, man, I don't, I don't feel like God's anywhere close to me. Guess what? He's omnipresent. So the problem is not with him then. He's not, far, he's not far from anybody, Romans says. He is right here. He, he's always present. The problem is what's distracting you. Yeah, I know. We're going to get nasty a little bit. What's distracting you? And when I say you understand, I'm talking about me too, and I'm not saying that humbly. I'm saying that literally. But John Mark Comer wrote a great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he said this. He said, attention leads to awareness. I like that. Attention Leads to awareness. If you don't feel like God is close, like you're not aware of God's presence, then attention is probably the problem. He says this. He suggests, uh, he says, hurry is the key to distraction. And he gives a test to see where you are. And I'll tell you right up front, I fail all three. Okay? So you, you don't have to be shamed. Number one is, this is just his little silly test. But he says, do you move from one checkout line to another because that line looks shorter than the one you're standing in? I see you smiling. I know. Definitely 100% on that one. Do you count the cars in front of you? Oh, so bad. So you can get, so you can either get in the lane that looks like it's the least or is going the fastest. So on that one. And our roads don't help because we have straight roads. So I can see a long way ahead if I do this, 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 and this. Um, and then do you multitask to the point of forgetting a task? Yeah. Or tasks. He said a recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. That's for two and a half hours over 76 sessions. That's average. 76 sessions for two and a half hours per day for a total touches of 2,600. Now, if you don't think that, if you, if you feel like, well, he's just making that up, guess what? Your phone, your own phone will tell you. You can go in your settings on your phone, and your own phone will tell you. So it didn't have to work hard to come up with that stat, okay? He says uh, another study found millennials or, and, and modern generations are even worse, up to twice as much. And, he, and I love this, and this is very true. He says these smartphones reduce our working memory and problem-solving skills. This is very true because you don't need it. You don't got to solve a problem. Ask Siri. Google it. Uh, you can type almost any question in Google, almost any formatted question you can think of, and it will give you answers to it. I mean, just think about that. I mean, and memory, you don't have to remember, remember anything. When's the last time you remembered uh, phone numbers? I remember when I was a kid, you had memorizing phone number after phone number. You don't have to memorize that anymore. Do you know, and I'll just throw them under the bus because I love them, and you all know it. But students at our, the school where we work, there were three of us and where I volunteer, I'll never forget being at football camp this summer, and 80% of them didn't know their address. Not even kidding you. Did not. Am I wrong, guys? Did not know their address. And we, we were having them address letters to their parents, written letters. They were clueless what to do with an envelope, like the whole return address thing. No idea what you're even. These are high school kids, guys, high school kids. And I'm not throwing them under the bus. It's the generation they're in. They don't need to send a text, send an email. You know, I don't even have to touch it. I can just tell Siri and she'll do it. Anyway, he goes on to say, guess how much time the average American spends on social media? 705 hours a year. 
on TV and video, 2,737 hours a year. Now, let me put that into perspective. And these are 2018 or older, by the way, stats. So by now, I'm sure they're worse. Consider that, and these are other stats. Consider this. The average person can read the entire Bible. The average person can read the entire Bible in 70 hours. 70 hours. 705 hours on social media. The average person can read the entire Bible in 70. Uh, guess how much time the average Christian spends praying per week? One minute. One minute. Average pastor, seven minutes. You think we're distracted? I wonder what life would be like if we devoted that amount of time to learning to hear God speak. You think you'd hear him? Think you'd recognize him? What do you think your walk would be like? You know, Have you started walking? That's, that's my question. Have you started walking? Or did you put him on pause with the very first step and say, hey, look, you know, I'll I'll get there. Maybe you don't even remember the first step. I can tell you what the first two steps are for everybody. I can tell you that because that's easy. First two steps for everybody are exactly the same. Be baptized and then make disciples. That's it. If you've never been discipled, you, you need to be discipled so that you can... In turn, make disciples. That's what we're all about as a church. That's the first two things. Are you called to Africa? Are you called to India? Are you called to be a pastor? Are you called to be a worship leader? I don't know all that. But I know that if you are called by grace through faith uh, and you have put your faith in Christ, then you are without a doubt called to be baptized and you are called to make disciples. That's black and white. So let's move on. That was the meat. We'll cover the rest of it quick. Verse 2. It says in chapter 12, I will make of you a great nation. Notice the I wills. You can underline them. God's saying this. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, Notice, too, God's plan here involves both Abram and Sarah. Both of them. You can't have a family without the partner. You know, and both their names are changed. This is significant because what condition was Sarah in? Do you know? Baron, right? She couldn't have kids. Baron, like Abram, do you really believe that God can take a barren wife and give you an entire nation? Yes, sir, Lord, I believe that. Well, get walking. That's literally what he's saying. Well, then get walking. He gives him seven blessings here. He's going to make a great nation of him. That's Abram. Blessing to Abraham. He's going to bless you. I'm going to bless Abraham. He's going to make his name great. It's another blessing to Abraham. Not, not that Abraham's going to be a superstar, but his name is going to have renown to it, which is true because we're 5,000 years later and we still talk about it as we are right now. Uh, but it also says, he also says he's going to be a blessing. So that's something that he's going to benefit, but the world is going to benefit from too. He's going to be a blessing. He says he, God says he will bless who blesses him. So that's a blessing for the world. He says he's going to curse those who curse him. So that's dealing with the world as well. And then he says all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the world. So how many families of the world, how many nations does that include? Who does that leave out? Nobody. 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 
I'm not going to rabbit trail down that, but I'm just saying, nobody. There's not a color, language, tribe, people, nation. That includes Iran, Russia. That includes the people we don't like. That includes the people we love. That includes the people we don't know about. Everybody, everybody on the earth. And notice the blessings, the curses and stuff are not some power Abraham has. This is all things that God is going to do. And Abraham does nothing. These are all things that God is saying, this is what I'm going to do through you. This is what I'm going to do through you. So what might you be missing? What might you be missing? God using you to bless others. Has it occurred to you that your walk might not be about you? It might just be that he's using you to bless others. And I can tell you right now, for the record, it's not about you. But that's beside the point. Look at verse 4. Uh, so Abram went. Love that. So he did. He went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. That's a real time 75. It's not time when people live to be 500 years old. He was 75. Uh, I don't know how you, old you are, but if you feel, usually by the time we get in our 60s, we're done. Well, he was just starting. Okay? <laughs> but <laughs> here you go. <laughs> Verse 5, and Abram said, Abram took Sarah, which her name is changed to Sarah, his wife and Lot, his brother's sons, uh, brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired, uh, that would, in Haran, that'd be servants, and they sent out, set out to go to the land of Canaan. So he didn't sell everything he has. It's a little different than the disciples in a sense, because he didn't sell everything, and he packed up everything. Packed it all up. So God's not like explicitly saying that you gotta suffer and die and go without everything. In this case, Abraham packed it all up. And took it too. It's fine. He went to a specific place, land of Canaan. But the key here for me is notice that he didn't do it alone. We don't have to break down who all these people are. But he did it with people. Now, do you think they gave him a hard time? Yup. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) If his wife was a normal wife. Now, I'm just joking. But I'm just saying. I guarantee you. I'm just kidding. I guarantee you there are times when they were super supportive. And there were other times when they're like, where are we and what are we doing? You know what I mean? But he didn't do it alone. Listen, there's no Lone Ranger faith, man. I, I know a lot of a lot of Christians out there that feel like they don't need church. They don't need that, that even even if they're like an evangelist or some kind of superstar preacher or something, they're like they don't need all that because they're out there doing it. They're on the front line. That doesn't exist. God always, even when he calls here, he's always calling family. If it's not literally your family, it's a spiritual family. You're supposed to do this thing together. You're supposed to. Think about the weight of this moment, guys. This is the birth of Christianity, Islam, and the Jewish faith, modern day. All, All trace back to this moment. All three of them. Three largest Beliefs in the world all trace back to this same moment. And we're in a dangerous little space because we as Christians want to believe that the Jews are worshiping the same God. Because they look to the Old Testament and they look to Abraham. But so do the Muslims. But we would not put them him as God. But we get tempted to put who the Jews worship as God. And I, y'all know me, I love the Jewish faith, the Jewish people, I'm excuse me, the Jewish people. 
And I've been to Israel, and a lot of what we do is based heavily and historically in Hebrew and stuff like that. So I'm not slamming anybody. I'm just making a point. It's not the same person. And, and I can prove that because Jesus said so himself. We worship the same God that Abraham worshiped. It's not the same God that these others claim. How do I know that? Well, I can give you a for instance. So I'll give you a few verses. John 8, verse 58. Just write it down. Jesus says to these religious leaders of his day, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's calling himself, I am. He's calling himself God. And he's saying, I was before Abraham. I am. This is Jesus now. I was before Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. All right, John 5, verse 39, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus says to the same people, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness what? About me. He's saying you're reading the, you're reading the scriptures. For them it was Old Testament. You're reading the scriptures and you're looking for who God is and you're looking for this. And he says what you're missing is I'm him. I'm standing in front of you. I'm here. This is why I asked you, would you recognize him if he did stand in front of you? They, he stood right in front of them, and they didn't recognize him. Luke 24, verse 27. Jesus talking to two of his own disciples after his resurrection. says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he starts with the books of Moses, the very beginning, and he goes through all the prophets, all the scriptures, and he said, they're all talking about me. Let me show you. Verse 44 of the same uh, section, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then, look, he opened their minds to understand Scripture, to see it, to go, man, it is all about you. And then he said in verse 48, you are my witnesses of these things. Now you have a responsibility with them. Jesus calls us just like Abraham. He called Abraham to follow me, walk with me. Jesus said the same thing to his disciples, drop the nets. He says the same things to us, follow me. You know, where? All the world. Every tribe, every nation. All the world. Walk by faith, not by sight. Paul repeatedly saying that. We do the same thing that he did. Last little piece here I want to point out a little bit is, does God care about the land? Is the land really that big a deal? Like he brought him to a specific place. Of course it is. Uh, has it ever occurred to you God's proud of his creation? Like he might actually be proud of a sunrise too. He might look at a sunrise and go, wow, that really is beautiful. He might look at a particular mountain range and go, man, that is really awesome. He made it. Why would he not be proud of it? Why do we assume that he's bored with it? Um, And I'm not talking about tree hugging here. You know, I'm just saying that the land does matter to him. Why does this particular land matter? Why does he bring back to this particular man? Well, because the seed that we're following is going to be forever linked to this piece of land. This piece of land that we know of as Israel, at Abraham's time, he didn't yet know it that way. It was just the land of Canaan. It was where he was being led to. Canaan was the people who stayed there. But why is God bringing him there? Well, I think two reasons. One reason is what's going to happen there. Generations and generations and generations down the road, the seed is going to be born there of a virgin. The seed is going to die there for our sin. 
He's going to be buried in a grave there, and he's going to arise from that grave there and conquer and defeat the sin, the death that comes to us through sin. He's going to arise and go return to the Father from that same place. He's going to launch his church from that same place. And one day he's going to return to that same place, and he's going to rule and he's going to reign from that same place. And one other reason I think, and this is more me, I can give you the research why I believe this, but I feel like this is the same place where Adam and Eve launched sin into the world. I think in the same place where sin entered the world, he's dying for it and redeeming it. I think some say that in the same place where, this is just some say, same place that where Jesus prayed in a garden, Garden of Gethsemane, and said, not my will but yours be done, was once the place in a garden where Abraham said, or Adam said, not your will but mine be done. May very well be. Don't know. But regardless, the point is the land matters, the man matters, the walk matters, because God has a detailed, intentional plan, and he's calling someone to follow him in salvation because he's going to display himself and bless the world through it. Two quick verses, Ephesians 2, verse 10. We, us, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? Four good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should, what? Walk in them. He prepared something for us to walk in. What's that look like? Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. We all know this. Go. Walk, I'd say. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, back the last verse of Genesis 12, verse 6, it says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The land was special. And Abraham was obedient to God, even though it was occupied by pagan people, and he went there. That sounds familiar, right? That's what we're called to do. I'm not slamming anybody, I'm just saying we're called to go to the lost, to the pagan peoples, and show them Christ. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, your seed, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Um. What does appear to me? Saw him. What did that look like? I don't know. But he saw him. He was there. He worshipped him. He built this altar to him. It was not about Abraham. It was about the seed of Abraham. Do you see that? So Abraham's son. Abraham has Isaac. Is it about Isaac? No. It's about the son of Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Is it about Jacob? No. It's about the son of Jacob. Which one? All the way down till we come to the son of who? God, that's right, to Jesus, who would one day be born there, as I said, live and die there. Uh, let me just go ahead and close up and say this. What if, what if you said yes? What if you said yes? How's your walk right now? I don't know. You've got to check that one out. Are you walking where he shows you, or are you showing him where you need to walk? God's not your guest. I'm not trying to be ugly, but he's not your guest. Are you creating environments where you can hear from him? Are you getting alone? Are you taking walks? Are you a nomad? Are you walking with family? Uh, is there something more important than your faith right now? Uh, well, I've got my family to deal with or reputation or power. Or maybe you're climbing a ladder. I don't know. 
What might need to change in your life, in your walk? I don't know. You guys got to think that one through, and you got to answer that. What might need to change? Maybe, listen, maybe that's not you, though. Maybe you're just sick of life, period, being small. And maybe for you, you feel like there should be more to life. I can promise you there is. God can do immeasurably more with your wife, your life, because he designed it. Wife, too, maybe. But he can do immeasurably more with your life because he designed it than you will ever be able to do with it yourself. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. But you have to give it to him. You have to give it to him. How do you do that? It's by faith. Stand up with me, and and we're going to pray here in just a second. But it's by faith. And I, I want to challenge you today that if that's you, if you're the one that's saying, look, I need that, I'm ready for that, my heart is burdened for that, I'm tired of the struggle with it, and I'm ready to surrender to it, and I'm ready to be his. If that's you today, how do you access it? Well, can you admit who you are? Can you say, you know what, I'm not in charge, I'm not the boss. In fact, most of what I take charge of fails. I'm a sinner, and I know it. Can you say that? I'm not perfect. Can you say that? Can you say, I trust in who you are. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are the one who came and lived and died. I can't explain how, but I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. Can you do that? And then can you trust him? Can you trust that that was enough? Like, like I will never be good enough. I know it. But I can trust that that was good enough. If you can do that, you need to tell him. You need to tell him today. Don't tell me. Tell him however you want to tell him. And then come tell me. So I want to hug you, and then I want to get you moving into discipleship. Lord, I love you. Your word is awesome. You are awesome. Thank you for the privilege of being able to share it today. And, God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in a place where we're free to do that. Pray again because it's on my heart still for my brother and brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are also worshiping today around the sound of bombs, very literally. God, I pray you reinforce their joy. And give them a sense of supernatural faith that you're in control. And God, we ask these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.